Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. It is Tuesday, January 9th. College football season officially over. Michigan is the national champion. What does that mean for Clemson and its designs on trying to climb back into the elite conversation? We have been writing about that plenty this week at TigerIllustrated.com and will continue to. Also, plenty of recruiting coverage as always from our guy Paul Strelo. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold, based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864-990-4581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P-A-R-H-A-M law.com. Upstate foodies. Want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award-winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings, such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville hot chicken tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. And don't forget about the cocktails. Super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willy Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willy Way. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simple Simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E-R-O commerce.com. Okay, about last night, what does it all mean? What's the best way to grill a pork chop? We got all topics covered here with Mickey Plyler. Here we go. All right, joined by my friend Mickey Plyler. I think I owe you dinner or lunch or something because I literally hit you up like a half hour ago and asked you if you wanted to come on and you said absolutely. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. A couple things. One, um, you probably did this because I've done that to you many times in radio. <laughs> uh, or I'm still paying for the Larry Williams the idiot when you're at Charleston Post Courier Combat. All right. So still, are we approaching the 20th anniversary of that? I've got it on my calendar uh, right here. I can pull it up. <laughs> Has to be um, because you were – when were you at Charleston? Um, I was there from 04 to – October of 08. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got to be, you know, we're coming up on that for sure. I've got it and on I, my I, Google I as, as a recurring event on my Google calendar. I've got it up. So I can, I mean, I've got it on there so I can pull it up the day that Nikki Plyler called me an idiot. You know, what's interesting. And, and, and this is kind of timely because you never, I mean, I didn't know you um, <laughs> and, and consider your dear friend. I would never said it if I'd have known you. So like this, not knowing anybody and what they're like. So, I've been on Jim Harbaugh pretty hard on my radio show. And when Eric Backage and I, we were 
doing a speaking engagement over in Gaffney um, the summer after he was hired. And we're talking about a lot of things, man. It was awesome sitting and having dinner with him. And because he was coming from Michigan, and I just asked him, like, off the record, like, and now it's on the record because it was nothing bad to be said. But I said, Coach, tell me about Jim Harbaugh, man. Like, is he as weird as I think he is? He goes, oh, no, no, no. Great guy, man. He goes, I've been in his office many times, and I go in there, and all he wants to talk about is his baseball swing and his stance <laughs> and where his weight is and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, coaches have respect for each other. But, like, I don't know Jim Harbaugh, and I judge him. I didn't know Larry Williams in 2004, but uh, I am glad you're a forgiving soul. <laughs> It took me about 15 years. Good. Well, <laughs> I'm, joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> well, that's a good topic. Harbaugh and of the, our nature to rip the people we see from afar that are doing things that we're not huge fans of. But when it's within our bubble, we're much more open-minded, I guess. And what the thing is, the thing that stands out to me, and I'm not taking a position on this necessarily, but when the guy, when Harbaugh said a few weeks ago, I'd like to, I guess it was play selection Sunday. And he said, he invoked, I'd like to thank our, my savior, Jesus Christ, all that. He said the same thing last night. And the reaction from everywhere is, oh my, oh my goodness. He really, he really went there, you know, like, and I was thinking about it last night. Like, how do we know what this guy's about spiritually? How do we oh, really yeah. know? Yeah. Remember, he took his team to, to Italy because uh, they want to go to the Vatican. Yeah. Like, or what part of the reason there? Now, I think he's I think he's a, a devout Catholic. And, um, man, if loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. I'm never going to criticize somebody for, for uh, you know, professing their faith. But um, we, we, we have to he, – he, he is – I guess practiced at the art of lying through his teeth. You agree? Oh, yeah. Can I give you one good story before we start ripping him? Because I'm going to rip him. <laughs> yes. um, I, I talked about this on my show, radio show this morning. I, I didn't know the background of the who has it better than us. Mm-hmm. Have you heard this? No, the background, no. So, you know, he does this thing about who has it better than us, mm-hmm. and the answer is nobody. And he got that from his dad. His dad was a, a, an assistant coach, and he said they lived in this small house and you know, moved around a few times and ended up in Ann Arbor, but uh, in a small house. And back then, you know, you had these, I still think you have now, these dealer cars, you know, where the assistant coaches would get to drive a car from an auto dealer, and that was the only car that they had. And when they, and, and you know, obviously a nice car, and so you, you like the benefits of having a car. But he said when, whenever his dad would always shape things, like him and his brothers, him and his brother had to share a room. And like uh, his other friends had their own bedrooms. But, you know, the way his dad would frame it is, man, you get to share a bedroom with a brother. Mm. And he said, Who has it better than us? And there's nobody. And I love the story that it really gets to is, is that in the cold in, in Ann Arbor, uh, that, that one of Harbaugh's memories is that the mom took their one car to the store wherever. And the boys wanted to go to the park, wanted to go do something, whatever it might be. And that's just, that's good because now we get a chance to, to practice our basketball. And he, he gets in front and the two Harbaugh brothers are behind him. And he goes, all right, 100 dribbles with the right hand as we walk to where our destination. And then 100 dribbles with the left hand. And that whole time he's chanting, who has it better than us? And the boys in the back would go, nobody. And so he just turned this adverse situation 
into this idea that, hey, we get to practice basketball while we walk and go to wherever we So I, I thought it was a pretty cool story. And, and uh, in my mind, one of the few good Harbaugh stories, but I thought it was pretty cool. Should, should Clemson fans in particular who see Dabo sort of nationally in the Twitter conversation, social media conversation, even ESPN and radio and such, they see him torn apart routinely and, and, and see this very common cynical view of him. Should Clemson fans in particular be, I don't want to say sympathetic, but understanding of the idea of, of like maybe thinking twice before they jump on the hate train for whether it's Harbaugh or anybody else, because you know that, I mean, a lot of this is just the nature of fanaticism. You know, Michigan fans were all rallying around uh, Harbaugh and, and their team during the, well, I guess it's still ongoing, but they could, Michigan could do no wrong. That's typical. And the rest of the world thinks they're a bunch of cheaters. That's typical. But do you think Clemson fans should should be able to sort of take a, a little bit of a step back and say, hey, our coach gets unnecessarily ripped apart as well. So maybe there's some perspective there or not. Well, uh, we, we love to criticize what we don't know, you know, uh, what's, why does my, my representative vote against the bill? I don't even know what's in the bill, but I know the name of the bill. So I don't know all the port that's in it. And that might be why he or she voted against it, but I'm going to rip it anyway on social media. So we, we criticize what we don't know. I don't know, the ins and outs of Jim Harbaugh, but, but I don't like a lot of facts, a lot of stuff he does. So yeah, I can do that. You know, what's interesting. And I had a conversation on my show this morning with Dr. Milt Louder, a Clemson sports psychologist. And I made a reach in there when we compared a little bit of what Dabo went through to a little bit of what Harbaugh's been through in different, different ways. But in one way, think about it like this, uh, what, what, did, what did Bowler say? It's been 31 years. Uh, we finally was coming home 33 yeah. years, whatever it was, it's finally coming home. It's 27 for Michigan. Yeah. Uh, a guy that I looked it up today until last year for, for 18 years in a row, uh, Michigan only finished in the top inside the top 10 once Michigan didn't win a conference championship several years before Harbaugh got there. You remember Dabo has been a long time for, before comes to woman for Dabo. And then he went through, I think he was one in six against Ohio state. You know, Dabo went through the five game losing streak to South Carolina in many ways to overcome, uh, Ryan Day and Ohio State, like Dabo did with Steve Spurrier in South Carolina, to to win finally win the division, which Michigan hadn't done in years, and you know Dabo did that, and then to finally you know get back on top, despite the fact that you know a lot of things are against him at the time. I mean, remember Harbaugh was on the hot seat just oh yeah three years ago maybe uh, the going, going, year, into the, going into the twenty one season. I mean, people were yes. writing and saying he's done. I mean, yeah. I mean, as as if it was a matter of fact. So how you know uh, how did he do it? How did Dabo do it? Probably different ways, but in in a lot of ways, those guys overcame kind of or they climbed kind of the same mountain. Uh, different time frames and different all that, different times in their careers, but some similarities in what they had to overcome. I I try. I've learned to sort of go against the grain of what everybody is saying in the moment in the reaction to their most recent result. And I guess that would apply to, you know, going to the playoff. It was 
I mean, most people were like, oh, man, Alabama is just clearly – they're playing the best football. They're clearly the best team out there. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. This team just recently <clears> – <throat> excuse me – look like crap at Auburn. Yeah. And I wasn't buying it. Uh, I, and so I'll also go back to the summer when I read Bruce Feldman was writing about Michigan – and he was talking about how much NFL talent they had on that team, on that roster. Not necessarily top 15 talent, but the depth of guys who are going to be in the NFL. Yeah. The coaches, opposing coaches were saying, that is the most stacked team in the country. And so I started to think about it. And I'm like, okay, the tendency of everybody after they get squashed by Georgia two years ago is to say there's no way they can hang against all that speed um, you know the tendency is, and, and uh, that's reinforced a year ago when they get when they get torn apart by TCU. But I'm thinking it, over the summer, I'm thinking, okay, stacked roster, check. You have a warrior in JJ McCarthy. I mean, he's not an elite quarterback, but that dude's made of the right stuff. And so that's when I said, you know what? I, I think they can hang with with the speed of the southeastern teams because. Ohio State, they've beat they they beat the crap out of Ohio State in back to back years, and Ohio State's speed made up a lot of the southeastern type talent. Uh, that didn't really hold up, and so I went against what everybody sort of the con- conventional thought. Not beating my chest, but just as a means of discussion of how quickly I don't want to say narrative, but just the consensus. The consensus is a freaking roller coaster, and it has been for a long time. And that's what that's even been true over the last over the last week when most folks went in thinking, "Oh gosh, this is going to be another Alabama Nick Saban coronation," and it was everything but. Yeah, we do. We come to absolutes all the time. Like right now, one of the absolutes is is. James Franklin won't be able to beat Penn State or Ohio or, or Michigan. I mean Ohio State or Michigan, and that he's just a perennial, you know, outside of the top ten kind of guys going ten games. Well, just because you haven't done it doesn't mean you you can't do it. And, and like I think Penn State's got a lot of young talent coming back, and then they went to transfer portal and got some other good players in there. So I, I don't discount the fact that that they haven't done it, but that doesn't mean they can't do it. And I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked if. Penn State beat Ohio State or Michigan next year. Um, but we, we fall in that thing of, well, and remember it was big game Bob, like Bob Stoops, big yeah. game Bob. He's always going to win the big game. And then he lost a bunch of big games in a row. So, man, we're human beings, and we fall in that trap too often of shutting ourselves out that in the absolute the binary of this is going to happen or this will never happen, and, and not necessarily the case, especially in sports. Well, and just as – you know, Clemson was fueled by the humiliation of losing to South Carolina year after year, um, just as Clemson was fueled by losing a close one to Alabama in, in 15. You know, one thing that people, I think, discounted about Michigan, the pain and the humiliation of that Orange Bowl against Georgia, then the pain yeah. and the humiliation against TCU. If you have a lot of the same players that, that remember that, and that were a part of that. And in fact, had, had Michigan, had they played Georgia? I mean, that, the, the pop, okay. <laughs> the most recent conventional belief consensus 
or pseudo consensus is, oh, Georgia would beat Michigan based on what happened in the Orange Bowl in an exhibition game, basically. Yeah. Like, I, I don't – I would take Michigan over Georgia, honestly, just based in a large part on what happened two years ago, based in large part on the fact that this is not the Georgia of 2021 and 22 in the same way that this was not the Alabama of 2020 uh, vintage team. What do you, you agree with that? Or I totally you, agree with that. You know? I learned this lesson years ago from Burton Burns when, when he was at Clemson, I think, and you, and you hear the coach speak sometimes, but I didn't realize this because you think about like, it's the same or everybody's the same all the time. And, and so it was their very first practice, like what teams are going to do today, not practice, but meeting what teams are going to do today and tomorrow and this week is they coming back in town for, for school. And they get together, and, and Burton said, you know, this is our first time together as this team. And he goes, this team is totally different, and we'll, we'll, we'll form our identity. But every team you have is different. Now, there's holdovers, and there's coaching and players that sometimes are the same, and schemes are the same sometimes. But, you know, it, it, you look at how we use Alabama as an example. One or two injuries, one or two misevaluations, um, a key, you know, self-scouting and, and – uh, momentum and confidence. I mean, who would have thought Jalen Milrow would have looked the way he looked in November you know, if you watched him in September? Um, so the point is, is man, it, all of it changes. All of it changes all the time. Um, you're never going to have your A game all the time. But no, because what Georgia did last year has zero bearing on what they're, what they're going to do this year or next year. You know, I've seen that right now that Georgia's going to do this, Alabama's going to do this, maybe. But I'm going to say prepare for this, Larry. In a 12-team playoff with these unbelievable schedules that are being played because the the Big 12 and the SEC, we're going to have we're going to have a three-loss team in the college football playoffs next year. Or if not next year in the very very near future. And so, yeah, open yourself up. The things change. These are long seasons and every season is different. So, the absolutes, no. I'm not I don't do that anymore. No way. I just I knew what was coming during the semifinals when Michigan probably controlled most of that game against Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wasn't even going to get on <laughs> on social media because you knew that it was a referendum on the committee's picks one way right. or the other. Had Michigan not looked good and Alabama – won the game, it was going to be, oh, well, they screwed up. Well, since Michigan won, it was, oh, they got it right. That's just silly. Like, and that's somebody who, and I think, I think you, you were in, the, you and I were aligned, who thinks the committee got it right and thinks there was way too much, contra, or I guess way too much um, vitriol, I guess. Uh, people like death threats and, politicians oh. getting involved in all that stupid I mean it just it's stupid it was, I thought it was stupid in the moment I think it's even stupider now you know uh, you're, you're right and, and I, I think they got it right with that said we, we're going to do that every year if, if one team gets blown out of the playoffs then the college football, football I mean the college football playoff committee is the one that's uh, under criticism I'm like well how about the team and the players and the coaches you know, teams show you who they are oftentimes, and then there's matchups, there's adjustments, and there's injuries, and there's momentum. And, you know, Alabama could have very easily won the game, even though I thought Michigan was the better team. 
uh, and I thought controlled the game. And if anything, I think we learned another thing in the college football playoffs again is for the most part through the 10 years we've had this now, the teams that look better in the semifinals have won the national championship. And as impressive as Washington's victory was against Texas, I thought that, that Michigan looked better in hindsight now. It's easy to say. I thought Michigan was the most impressive of the, of the semifinal games. But no, we, look, we're going to do that, man. We, this is how we argue. Florida State fans had a bullet in their gun. They have to play that ammunition. That's what they have. And any ACC or anybody that, that conspiracy theorists or ESPN people or whatever, that's what you have to play that. Uh, now, that doesn't mean I've got to play the same thing next week when I'm arguing against that same point. You know, that's how we argue now. Whatever, we, There's enough ammunition on both sides of any argument. And whatever you want to choose, choose it. But no, I don't. I think the college football playoff committee. They now they weren't uh, vindicated or anything. I mean, it's, I, I don't know if I think they got it right. But Michigan is the winner, not the college football playoff committee. And Florida State was the loser, not the college football playoff committee, in my mind. In its final three games, Florida State. This is an exchange I had, I guess, on Twitter last week. Posted in its final three games, Florida State completed forty points. 5% of its passes, this is including the Orange Bowl, and averaged 4.5 yards per pass attempt. The lowest completion percentage in college football this season was 48.3. Rutgers' lowest yards yeah. per attempt was Iowa at 5.0. Somebody asked in response to that, hey, I'm curious what Michigan's passing stats were post Connor Stallions. They were pretty pedestrian as well. Well, if you look it up, in its last six games, Michigan completed 71.4% of its passes and averaged 7.75 yards per attempt. So I think it's probably just a another indicator of people d- dig into whatever, you know, whatever notion or oh, team yeah. that they want to be on. Um, I just don't understand what bothers me is why can't why can't it just be a really tough decision? that has good arguments on both sides. Because while I, while you and I believed that they got it right, we don't think it's outrageous for somebody to say no. a 13-0 Power 5 conference champion should not be excluded. I think that's fair. But why can't it also be fair to say Florida State was a different team? They were severely diminished, and there's no way they would have held up in the playoff without Jordan Travis. Why is that not reasonable? Well, because you used uh, you know, facts to support it. Now, on a, on a serious note, uh, we got the Rose Bowl. We got the best game with Michigan and Alabama because of the teams that were going to be played in the game. Now, most deserve, if you want to talk about that, you always know that in, in most valuable player, most valuable player, most outstanding player, you know, you change the verbiage there. Uh, I, I think that Florida State was, was deserved to go to the playoffs. But, and selecting the best teams and the best matchups and teams that win the national championship, I thought they had no business whatsoever. Uh, now that makes me a conspiracy theorist, and I'm an SEC apologist, and I'm bought and paid for because <laughs> I'm a member of the media. I mean, you get all that in there, but no, that's just an opinion, and that's okay. I might be wrong. Guess what? I might be wrong. <laughs> but as it turns out, I, I'm I'm glad I got to watch the Michigan Alabama game as opposed to the Michigan and and Florida State game. That would not have been a good football game, in my opinion. Mickey, you're the furthest thing from an SEC apologist. You you have a documented history of not being of not being an SEC apologist. So for you, of all people, to 
still be able to sit back, take a step back, and say that's that that's the better team. They got it right. I mean, I don't I don't understand how anyone well could. because of how we argue. You know that the great thing about sports is there's, there's a winner and there's a loser, and the great thing about sports is in the end. They, 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 that those two letters, that W and L, mean everything. And the reason that the SEC gets the respect they get is because of the records and what they've proven on the field. And you can argue against the Lord here, which I've done a million times, and will continue to do. But it's hard to argue against their success on the field in those big type games. I remember when Clemson was Clemsoning, and that was well, Clemson fans felt so disrespected through it all. You know how they changed that? They went out and won football games. They got went out and got they hired a great coach who put together a great staff, who went out and recruited great players, and ended up winning championships and games. That's how you change all that. The, the perception of Clemson changed only because the outcomes changed, not because of, of the, the media was for them or against them. No, that's not a conspiracy at all through all that. It's the Michigan, the last three years, Michigan has changed things, not because of the perception, because they went out and they won football games and they beat Ohio State and they – they won the Big Ten championship, and they made the college football playoffs. That's how you do it. Uh, and you can argue all the 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 um, you know the, all the great areas all you want to, but in the end, it's a W or it's an L. It's a championship or it's not. Like Kirby says, either you're lead or you're not. And uh, that's that's the great part of our, our jobs. We could it's fun if you keep it in the right perspective. Now the death threats. I saw that this weekend, man. That, that's just that's unbelievable to me. Well, another another thing that blew my mind, this is in the immediate aftermath of the of Selection Sunday, was proponents of Florida State, or I guess just people who, you know, the conspiracy type people, were pointing to things that Kurt Herbstreet said yeah. in the run-up to the, to the, to, to championship weekend, him saying he thought, he thought he didn't think FSU should get in He's giving his opinion. Yeah. Like as that as if that was a part of the conspiracy? Are you like on what planet does that make any freaking sense? Well, there's uh you know the conspiracy theorist is that ESPN runs things. That's the, that that Kurt Herbstreit's actually doing that selection of all that. <laughs> and that or that they knew what it was and they gave him his talking points. And I just don't believe that's the case. I don't believe that at all. And I believe that that uh, the committee selected who they selected and had no ties to all of that. And and, and again, ESPN had they had had it been Florida State, ESPN promos promos would have been about all oh, this undefeated season and Florida State's back and all. You use what you got and you use to try to make people watch the game. I'm not seeing the ratings yet for last night though. For the, for the national championship game. That'd be interesting to see. But ESPN, they don't care about that. Kurt Hershey didn't care about that. He gives his opinion, and you can agree with it or not. But guess what? He could be wrong about his opinion, and you could be right. That's At right. the same time, he could be right, and you could be wrong. And you know, it, 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 If it's a conspiracy, though, Mickey, if it's truly <laughs> an SEC-orchestrated conspiracy, then why didn't they have Georgia in there, too? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, that makes <laughs> Larry. You're trying to rationally argue here. You can't do that. We're fans. We're fans of all that. No, you can't do that. You know that. All right. If if we're being totally honest with ourselves, we have to ask ourselves this question as it relates to Florida State's playoff snub. 
we have you and I have been on record as saying the committee got it right. We have very what we think to be valid reasons for having that position. Well, I gotta offer a hypothetical here. If <laughs> if Clemson had been in the same boat, would we be saying the same things and have the same position? Well, you like paying your mortgage off, and uh, I like I like being I like safety. Yeah, I like I like putting things on my uh, you know, grill. I almost called you for grilling advice the other day. Uh, my my pizzas on my egg man are terrible. I'm the worst. It, I had the worst pizza I've ever had. I need I need. Here's what you need to do. To we'll, we'll we'll take All a right. short. We'll take a departure here. All right. Um, you know Doug Zerbel at your pie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I gotta do that. He'll he'll uh, he'll set you up with some pre uh, pre made dough. Yeah. Um, or in fact, even even uh, even the dough that he has that that's that's yet to be rolled, uh, it's still good. But I would get the pre made. Publix also makes the pre made, to where yeah. you just throw it on the on the um, <coughs> on the. I did it, Larry, but my but it rises so fast in there, and ah. What's your okay? How what's the temperature? Mm, see, that's part of my problem. Is I, I went yesterday. I ended up cleaning out the entire. I pulled out all the insides and everything because I had some more ash than I thought I had. So I did get my temperature up high enough. What was um, the temperature? I had it up to about, four, about 400. Oh, that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. It's got to yeah. get – you've got to get it up past like 556 up towards okay. 7 and let it heat for at least like a 20 minutes. you got to get that stone heated. Yeah. So okay. that, that's your problem. The temperature was too low. you got to get that well, air gonna, low. I'm gonna try one more time with my wife. Uh, if not, I, I told her the other night the pizza that I, that I got off the, the egg. I said, if you wanted to, you could use this as evidence in the divorce case, because <laughs> no, no self-respecting woman would ever be married to a man that would serve that to their family at night. Like it was that bad. Now that said, I've been on a roll, man. My brisket's unbelievable. My my uh, my fillets have been great lately. I've been doing unbelievable on my hibachi with on my griddle and all, man. I've been doing unbelievable things there. So I was on this big. Actually, what happened? I got humbled. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm not the grilling expert I thought I was. Me, so I'll, I'll try that from now on. Trust me when I say this: pizza is trial and error. You just have to learn as you go. And I've had when yeah. I was first starting, I had plenty of pizzas that turned into calzones. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, because... that's what it is. I, I told my wife, it's, "It's a calzone." That's exactly right. <laughs> hey, now we'll tell you this: I got this from you. Um, on my egg talk, I, I talked to, to Strilo about um, about the Blackstone, but you're my egg guy. Uh, I did about an inch and a half, inch and a quarter, an inch and a half pork chops last night. Oh yes! Uh, at the end of the meal, my wife told me it was the best pork chop she'd ever had. That was coming off of uh, uh, what she thought was as good a filet mignon as we Dang. had a couple nights before that, and that was coming off of chicken wings off the off of our uh, smoker. That I did the night before that, so I've been on this big roll, and then I had a screeching halt with the pizza. So, all right, six hundred. I'll get it up. Start with the temperature with your current dough and see if that helps. I think it will. Um, But if if you're still having problems, then go get some dough from your pie or Publix that's already pre pre rolled or whatever. Um, Got it. But I've got my pen and pad out. I want to hear. 
The pork chops. Did you do a reverse sear? Like, how did you do it? Um, last night, I did not do a reverse sear um, because I had on there, um, I was trying to time it right. I did um, green beans with some olive oil and a little seasoning with the green beans and tinfoil. And then I did corn on the cob. All of this so on the all of this on, on the egg? On the egg, yes. Yeah. So the corn on the cob in, inside tinfoil. Each each cob is individually wrapped and I do uh, butter and and uh, put some butter in there, um, a couple of couple little slices of butter, and then I do some pepper, salt pepper in there, maybe even like some Lowry or some Old Bay in there for seasoning. And then I did the same thing for my green beans. It was some but that was olive oil in the green beans. And so that, that got up to about, because I did about 400 with the pork chops, I didn't reverse serum or serum or reverse serum um, because I just, you know, you know I, I didn't want to burn. I actually had a little bit of a crisp with the green beans. So they were good. And a little bit of black and a couple of black kernels on the corn. But just because I wanted to bring them off at the same time, I didn't do, uh, and I'm a reverse sear guy more than a sear guy. Yeah, um, same. But also seasoning was a big part of it. We put this uh, kicking chicken seasoning on the pork chop last night. It was fantastic. So, so this was over um, open flame. Yes. Open flame. Yeah. Not, not, uh, not convection or whatever. Mm-hmm. Open flame, um, pretty high temp, you know, four, four twenty-five maybe. Yeah. Fantastic. How about yeah. the, um, how about the filet mignon? Filet is a reverse sear for me mm-hmm. because we, we like it pretty rare inside, but we also want to get the temperature up a little bit. So, um, I get it up to, uh, you know, I do about like 350 mm-hmm. and I get my internal temperature up to about a hundred or so. Just a hundred. And okay. then maybe a little bit higher. No, then pull them off, get the temperature up to about 600 and then put them back on for a couple of minutes each side. So internal, you get to a hundred. Normally I do like 130 or so internal. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It, 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 after the searing, after I, I get up 600, it gets up to about a hundred, 130, something yeah. like that. Internal. Okay. But but I pull them off at like like a hundred, um, and then get the temperature up, yeah, and then serial and then gets it, and then internal temperature about one thirty. Hey, let me ask you this: when you go to a restaurant, because that internal thermometer is the key from for for me when I cook, like it's idiot proof, right? Yep. When you go to a restaurant, would it be uh, snobbish when someone says, "How would you like your your steak?" and you go one hundred thirty? <laughs> would that be a jerk to say one thirty? Maybe, but maybe not. Like those guys are such pros. Like they can go just by the feel of it. Okay. Yeah. You know, like they, like a, I guess yeah. a quote unquote true chef. They could, they just, you can feel, you can just touch it and know exactly where it is. Well, um, I think to me, I, my uh, on the on especially in the fillets, like one twenty five to one thirty is perfect. So when I say that's medium rare, probably I thought that's really rare. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like bloody. But yeah, maybe rare then. Uh, but say one thirty then. But I think it'd be kind of snobby to go one thirty in a restaurant and order it with your <laughs> with your server that way, right? Probably just stick I don't want to, to rare. Like yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or at least we try to say medium rare in a in a in a, in a, in a restaurant at least. Some little more rare at home, I guess. What have you been? You been having success lately? Uh, I I I, I do mostly pizzas the last week on christmas night we cooked i cooked some fillets but i did them inside i did them on a um i i I did the i put the cast iron skillet in the oven on 500 for 10 or 15 minutes took it out threw the fillets on there and this is just i don't even think i buttered them i think i just salted them 
Um, yeah. Put them in there for two and a half minutes. Took them out. Took the meat out of the skillet. Put the skillet back in the oven for about eight minutes, just so it gets right nice. back hot. And then pulled it yeah. out. Uh, threw the fillets in on the other side. Put them in for I think four and a half minutes or so. One of the things nice. with fillets, fillets are just tasty regardless, but um, one of the things I wish I would have done was salt the meat earlier so it gets into the middle, you know? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Know, I sort of noticed that it was it hadn't really penetrated, which, um, anyway, but that's about... I do, about from, a, from a flavor standpoint, I, I do some rubs. I've got some, some beef rubs for our fillets. And finally, about the last maybe five or six times, I did this before, and I got away from it, and I'm back to it now. A little garlic butter on top after you put yes, them off. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Oh, man. Definitely. Oh, so good. So good. Um, I, 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 I have, I have um, I've resigned myself to never smoke in a pork butt again because my wife does them in the – people were going to want to physically assault me after hearing this, but she puts them in the crock pot. Yeah. And my wife does that as well. That's okay, like nice. it's moist every single time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you don't yeah. have to spend 14 hours babysitting it, you know? Right. And when, right. You, when you smoke them, it can turn out wrong, you know, uh, or can. too dry. So just not worth my time. In that crock pot, though, you could just pull the, just pull the bone out. Right, exactly. And, and you got, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. The, you, don't yeah, the, you don't get the bark or anything like that, which I can, I can do without. It's okay. Again, people will probably you, not I, like me after hearing that, but. I did a great for uh, for New Year's Day. I did a great um, brisket on my smoker and had an unbelievable bark to it. Had a um, uh, the rub I used was this uh, rub I've never tried before, but it was awesome. You know, with brisket, man, that's an expensive piece of meat, so you can't make a mistake. But it turned out to be incredible. Um, I need to get you um, smoker wise because there's some good. I think chicken's better on the smoker than it is on the egg. Um, with that said. My latest greatest is this Blackstone, and mm-hmm. uh, I think you turned me on to this because I think you do this with in, in the egg with the skillet, the smash burgers. Oh yeah, yes sir. Yes, that's perfect for the yeah. The Blackstone is the ideal, one hundred percent for that. Yeah, but but a, but a skillet, a skillet inside your your um, your eggs, same thing. Like you know, you're getting that. Yeah, but that. it gets too. It, it's harder to manage because you got the grease that's in the pan. And you got to do something with that, right? Like it builds up. Whereas yeah. in a blackstone, you just you just sort of squeegee it off the side. Whereas, and it gets and you're standing directly over the pan with all that heat, and and it's just ideally, I'd rather have a blackstone if I'm doing smash burgers. So I think my four and they're pretty they're pretty affordable. I mean, I'm at Ti Salary over there. You know, you can do that. I, I, hey, yeah. my four year old told me the other day. He said, "Dad, best cheeseburger I've ever had in my life." Now he's only four years old. But that's all we good here. Hey, I'm proud of my Blackstone, one of my latest ones. Uh, we had a bunch of family over for, for the Christmas holidays. So I had like 16 people over. And I did a hibachi, and I did it with, um, uh, you know, a few eggs and some onions and mushrooms and zucchini and obviously all my rice. I had to do two shifts, though, because my, my Blackstone was only like – it wasn't big. It's was only four burners, and I had all this rice and everything. So I did uh, chicken and beef and shrimp. And man, it was fantastic. But wow. to be able to manage all that for that many people, that's it was hard. Like, you know that's how pressure. you are with your cooks. Oh, yeah. But 
and when it comes off and everybody's telling how good it is, like, oh, yeah, you pat yourself in the back around the house. Oh, yeah, yeah. But again, <laughs> man, the pizza humbled me. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get, okay. I'll, t- I'll tell right. you what, what you need to try is prime rib. Yes. That is scary. You talk about an expensive yeah. piece of meat with brisket. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, I think, Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. We had like, we had 10 people over, family, friends. And I called up the butcher shop, I guess when they were still open, Patrick Square, and I said, I need prime rib enough for 10 people. And they're like, all right, we'll cut it for you. And they didn't really, I didn't bother to ask how much it, how much it would cost. I had no idea. Yeah. So I get there, they're like 180, that'll be 182, blah, 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 dollars. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I started to feel the pressure. Like, what if I get this wrong? Yeah. And so I did the reverse sear. So the slow indirect early on to get, and then you get it to a certain temperature, but then, then you open it up. Like you were just talking about with the, with the, I guess the steaks and you let it get up yeah. to 600 degrees and you're literally putting, you know, a very expensive hunk of meat onto, onto flames. And it's not, yeah. I mean, that, I'm talking a fireball and yes. it's a fireball for 45 seconds. And that was the longest 45 seconds of my life because the thing was held together by a string. Well, like halfway through the 45 seconds, the thing splits in half. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm like, I'm just having visions of sitting down to eat, you know, well done prime rib. Well, two things. You were thinking, you, you watch this $180 bill being, being <laughs> um, in flames. And the other thing is, in the back of your mind, you're thinking your family's sitting down with dominoes. <laughs> Like you're gonna have to make a phone call to Papa John's or something. But know? this thing, once I got it upstairs and into the kitchen and sliced into that thing, it oh, was man. perfect. And I've never I love steak, but I've never loved steak as much as I did for the rest of that day because it's got the it sits in its own juices and it's yes. just the best cut. So the next time you have a gathering, you ought to try. You ought to try tackling a prime rib. That's a pressure, man. That's a pressure. Who was who was at that dinner? This was, you know, I think it was it was my um I think it was my in-laws. Um, with, with See, right folks. there. That's pretty you know, there's, old, there's an old joke in golf, Larry, right? That when you hit a bad shot, we called it a, a son-in-law shot. <laughs> and the reason is because it didn't turn out quite like you wanted it to. But <laughs> when you cook that prime rib it, for the in-laws, like, don't you just feel like, you know what, Heidi, she made a pretty good choice. Heidi, <laughs> Heidi did pretty well for herself, right? <laughs> All right. We've had a 10-minute filibuster on the big question. That's okay. That's okay. You remember the big question? No, I don't even remember. I'm, I'm right now, I'm, I'm thinking about my next cook. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, by the way, how do you, how do you prepare your wings? Uh, on the smoker. No, and I mean, I don't, like, how do you do? You, do you brine them? Like, what do you what do you before? No, I pre- don't brine them. Uh, about thirty minutes before I put them on the grill, maybe an hour, forty five, something like that. I'll put just some rub on them. Okay. And uh, this past one, we did. Now I do the whole wings. You know, not the not the quarters, but like a whole wing. Yep. You know, not. Uh, and we do that. And I do. Um, this past one I did lemon pepper and garlic. So I did two different sets. But I don't do um, any of the, like, buffalo style. We don't put any kind of right. dressing on that way. My wife likes them really crispy. Mm-hmm. And that's what that smoker allows you to do, I feel like, yep. is they get them a little more crispy that way. But they're the best. Man. I, I tell you what, honest to goodness, 
the next time I have them, I'll I'll call you in advance and and give you a pickup time yeah. and uh, <laughs> make some for you because I mean they're they're fantastic. Yes, it's sir. the best. Yeah, it's the best way to do it in my opinion. And I would have never smoked wings before, but I, that's the way to go. I want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union. If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as IPTA members. Its office is located beside the Walmart Neighborhood Market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parm Smith and Archenthal. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. Okay, the question was, what if Clemson had been in yeah. the exact same situation that Florida State was, how different would our opinions be? Okay. Well, two things. One is, you know, you got constituents and you got subscribers and listeners, and so you have to be fair there. And, you know, you're going to get a, a, a dissenting point if you say anything bad about it. But I, I would say that if Clemson had to play Hunter Helms um, and then had to go to, to Trent Pyramid or go to Vecina and they didn't look all that well and – uh, they still won the games, even though it's hard to say. I'd say Clemson would be the most deserving to go, but but not one of the four best teams. And so I'll give you a good example of it. I was not on this big bandwagon last year that uh, going out on a limb, and not on a limb, but big support of, of the NCAA basketball tournament. I mean, to me, one of my stances I had on the show was, yeah, I would have put them in. Mm-hmm. You mean Clemson? But Yes, Clemson. Yeah. yeah. But but I also understand why they weren't in. Yes, there, yes. For as many reasons as you can say that that team deserved to go to the NCAA tournament, there were just as many reasons to say that they didn't. And so, on that bubble talk, and that's what that's what the college football playoffs talk on the bubble talk for the basketball. There were many reasons why Clemson deserved to go last year, but but I think it's fair to point out the reasons that they didn't deserve to go and they didn't end up going. I think you can handle it fair and point out the facts on both sides. I think that's okay to do that. Now, again, not every fan was happy with us when we said it because, you know, fans are so biased. But there's a lot of reasons why Clemson didn't go to the NCAA basketball tournament last year, uh, schedule being one of them. And, and so had they played – and then obviously this year is a different story. But but there's – you know, I think as long as you're fair and you point out both sides of it, you can have an opinion and it could be wrong. But, but I didn't think – I would have put them in last year, but also could make an argument against it, so – that's how we would handle it here. How about you? Yeah, I think it's hard to say, Mickey, because we're humans and we're sort of naturally, like I was saying about 30 minutes ago, biased by what's around us and not necessarily, I don't, and you mentioned, yeah, you're, that's your livelihood and your salary. 
I don't think it would necessarily come down to that where I'd be like, do I really want to, you know, do I really want to say what I think is the truth and risk people getting mad at me? I think it's more you tend to see the side of the people you are around the most and you're, you know, the, the best. Does that make sense? Sure. And so sure. You're, you're just naturally, but I don't know, like, you know, like 2014, probably the best comparison, I would say, to Florida State, meaning Clemson 2014. Like, let's yes. say, uh, let's say, let's say Clemson, you know, mows down most of its schedule that year with a healthy Deshaun, and he's healthy until the same point of the season that Travis got hurt, meaning the, what, the 11th game? Right. He gets, he's out for the year. Cole Stout comes in and is not good at all and the, his backup isn't good at all yet they still you know they eke out a win at South Carolina other than the ACC championship they beat sort of a pretty good uh, Louisville team or whoever um, I think I could see the side of and would would and would articulate it in, in a somewhat similar fashion like look people yeah, there's a case to be made for Clemson, but man, they're just a different team without Deshaun. I think I would probably say that. Now, in, in my years running together, though, Cole Stout did look different in that Oklahoma game. He did, but that was that was not a great Oklahoma team, right? That, and, that was not a comfortable yeah, team. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, but I still don't know if that justifies. I mean, what's what's the more I guess revealing part of that season with Cole Stout, him playing great for one game or him throwing two pick sixes at Georgia Tech, um, playing not well against, was it Georgia State the week before the South Carolina game? Um, I mean, just you knew that wasn't going to be an elite team with when Deshaun Watson wasn't out there. And, 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 you know, for Florida State, um, the opt-outs were bad. The injury, obviously the injuries were bad. Um, and it's a bad way to end it, all, all that, and to taste in your mouth through all that. Um, with that said, if you're forced that, you can use all that. Now, they couldn't use it in the bowl game. But that's an off-season. You talk about Michigan for off-season, right? What Michigan had to watch the purple and, and uh, gray and purple confetti last year. And it, and, it, and it got in their yeah. crawl and, and motivated them through all that. Of course, they can use that moving forward. But the only part now is you get so much turnover at a place like Florida State. Like J.J. McCarthy's and, and Blake Corum and those guys, that was that was sitting in the room. And, and one thing you talked about earlier is man, Michigan had so much depth um, at a lot of places. And I think that's going to be harder in the future because of the transfer portal. But I'm going to tell you, Larry, who's going to win the national championship in the next few years? First, in a 12-team playoff – I, I think, you know, in the ACC basketball tournament, we always talk about the team's double buys and buys, and it's so much easier to win three games in three nights rather than five games in five nights or four games in four nights. I think it's going to be extremely difficult for someone to to win four college football playoff games. Sure. Um, so I think that the, one of the conference champions now, and that includes Notre Dame. You know, one of the things lost in all this is Notre Dame they can't get a buy. Yep. Right. Um, but the other part of his team is going to win it. I think depth is going to be tested. You're going to play 
at least three college football playoff games. He had to beat three college football playoff opponents in a 25 or 30 day span. Um, superstars are still, you know, a big part of the game, but I think depth, man, I think you've got to have, you got to be lucky. You got to be injury free and, and obviously not having opt outs at that stage or that phase. We don't think, but I think a team like Michigan, a team like Georgia, not because of the stars we've seen the last two years, but because of the depth those teams have, you, that that means you got to go recruit and even transfer portal, whatever. But, but you know, a good team gets a little bit made up. Remember Alabama a couple of years ago with running back or wide receiver, defensive back, man, you, those great teams could be great for 12 regular season games in a, in a conference championship game. But you got to stay healthy and you got to have depth in that playoffs. And I really think this Michigan defense, if they were, if it was the SEC, a lot of the talk today would be best defense ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, yeah. at all three levels, they're tremendous. Did there? I totally agree with that. Um, especially, I, I thought their second day was outstanding, and especially that pass rush. The pass rush, they didn't, they didn't blitz a lot last night, and they didn't blitz. Well, Milrow, they did some. Um, but that that was amazing to me. Um, let me ask you this: moving, uh, how we remember this Michigan team? How much did the the scandal and the probation or the investigation? Wh- wh- how would that, you know, be remembered? Well, just like what we've been talking about, it depends on <laughs> yeah. whether you're yeah. a Michigan fan or whether you're not. And I think that I think it will have an asterisk. I mean, who you know. Once, once Michigan withdrew quietly, withdrew its lawsuit. Yeah, that's. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, once that happened, I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I just, uh, I, I feel bad for the kids on the team. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a lot, you know, they they really, you know, they didn't have anything to do with it. What do you think? What can you? Uh, I, I would agree with that. On my radio show, I talked about this, that it feels like Barry Bonds. Like, Barry Bonds did not have to cheat to be a Hall of Famer, but he chose to anyway. And so one of the things I ask myself is, they let this low-level guy, and it helped. I know it helped. But they were still beating Rutgers, right? They were still beating Michigan State. Like, why would you do it? And And it's amazing to me, and I know it's a competitive thing, or maybe this paranoia or anybody trying to get any edge that you can but just think how much different this would feel if you didn't if michigan didn't cheat the way we know they cheated no question in the end i mean in, in your mind look at that team they didn't i mean you would agree with me they didn't have to cheat no no i think it's just i think so it's, I, go ahead I had a Michigan fan text me on the show, and he's like, uh, you're wrong the whole season. Uh, the only embarrassing part of all this is your analysis. And I'm like, wait a minute, bud. <laughs> your coach missed six games this season. You're currently under NCAA investigation, and I'm the one that should be embarrassed? I'm like, no, man. Like, in the end, when, I, I mentioned this on the show, like, when Barry Bonds looks in the mirror, he can try to convince himself and 99.99% of, of cheaters, I'm sure, feel this way. But you can fix yourself, hey, I'm the home run king. I hit more and more and more, and I'm a Hall of Famer, and I'm this, this, I'm that, I'm that. But still, when you look in that mirror, that conscious, anybody with any kind of conscious at all would have to look. And even 1% of you, one cell in your body would have to go, yeah, but, you know, 
didn't have to, but I did. And that'd be a hard thing to live with in my mind. My guess is Harbaugh, and I have no clue, obviously. My guess is he knows he knows they screwed up. Oh, and, yeah, he, he and he does have a conscience. Yeah. My guess. So when he looks in the mirror, he sees a guy that cheated his profession. Yeah. And when he goes to coaches' conventions, he sees a lot of his peers who look at him, yeah. <laughs> and he knows they yeah. believe he cheated his profession. So, so uh, talking about this too is is like if you're Texas Tech, you would have to cheat to win the national championship this year. If you're if you're Utah State or if you're Toledo, whatever. I mean, you know, if you're if you're I don't know uh, Florida, I don't know. You had to cheat. To, like Michigan did not have to do it, right? And it still, and it says a lot about you when you chose to do that. You knowingly broke the rules. You had a choice to make, and that's what that's the choice you made is to break the rules. Okay, the playoff, uh, the fourteen playoff is over. Ten years, right? I think it got a lot of unnecessary flack. I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm not saying that people didn't have some legitimate gripes. But the criticism, the the biggest criticisms, just seem dumb to me, and the the biggest criticism being the sameness of it, and it's boring, and this and that. When you look back, you have six different teams that won national titles over those ten years. Four of those teams that, if you go back to 2013, when the playoff was announced. And we're told, oh, these teams are going to win it all. You would have been like, oh, wow. Four teams, four programs that had been in the wilderness to varying degrees. Clemson, Georgia, LSU, and Michigan. The teams that won it all, Alabama three times, Clemson twice, Georgia twice, LSU once, Michigan once, Ohio State once. I dare say that if we take ourselves back to – entering the playoff era before we got spoiled, there wouldn't be a whole lot to complain about if we're told, if, we, if we're if we shown that list. Do you agree? Well, so two different things. And number one is the committee. Like, I, I think the committees for the most part got, I don't know, what is that? They, they got three teams. I think they got it right 37, 38, 39 times probably, maybe 40 times. So I think they got it right. The, the As far as the what it yielded and what the format set up to do, I think for the most part, I, I think you can't blame the format on a dominant team or a dominant program. And certainly Alabama was that and Clemson had to run and Georgia had to run and all that. But yeah, I mean, one thing we, we learned is that I know why we're going to 12, but I'm not sure outside of, potential injuries, how 12 would have changed a lot of this. Right. I don't think we need more than four, maybe six, maybe mm-hmm. at the most. But with that said, I mean, those Alabama teams, those Clemson teams, that LSU team, uh, were, they were going to win 12 teams. You put 16-14 playoff, whatever. They were just the best teams. So the I think the format, I'm, I'm more of a fan of four than 12. Now, 12 is going to create more excitement, more inclusive. I understand that Missouri would be excited about a playoff appearance and that you know, Ole Miss might get excited about a playoff appearance. I get all that. Penn State making it for the first time. Yeah, but after a while, getting beat in the first round is going to get old for some teams. Um, one of the things the playoff committee did, and, and you got to give Bill Hancock a lot of credit, and I understand he's a pretty nice guy, but, like, 
when when we had just the when we came out with the BCS, you know, he was the commissioner of that or the leader of that, the president of that was like, oh man, this is the only way to do it. We got to combine right. the humans and the computers and, and 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 look, we only need two. We don't need a playoff because no matter right mind in the playoff, this keeps the regular season intact and the, and the regular season, that's what college football is about. And then and then we go to four and we're like, oh, Bill Hancock's well, I mean, obviously this the only way to do this is four, <laughs> yeah. you know, the crazy, yeah. you know, anybody wouldn't want to have it this way. Now we're doing 12 and he's got to say, well, obviously 12 is the way, you know, and, and even we talked about this today is like even divisions, even conference championship games, will they mean anything in the future? If we're like, we have guys opt out of the, the conference championship game because you're in the 12. Now maybe, you know, the, the idea that you get a buy is a big thing there, but you know, even divisions, you know, where, oh, you have to have divisions. You're crazy if you don't have divisions. And now you don't have divisions. So everybody in the right mind knows that you don't need divisions. Well, Bill Hancock was great at, at selling all that. But no, I, I think the, the 10 years of college football playoff, I would say it is a success. And I'm not sure the next 10 years will, will it will provide more teams and more opportunities, but I don't think it will yield any different type of champion, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm, I'm excited about the 12 team. Yeah. More, more excited than I thought. I would be um, in recent years, but I, like my biggest beef with the with the constant criticism was, you know, oh, this is boring. So like, Clemson is exciting, a fresh new thing, until yeah. it's boring. <laughs> LSU comes out of nowhere in 2019. Georgia yeah. is an exciting new thing when it knocks off Alabama in Indianapolis until it becomes boring next year. When is this? Long, agonizing, totally predictable death march. That's the part of it that it's mindless to me because you did have, and oh, here we are, Michigan winning it all for the first time in forever and beating a team in Washington that isn't that supposed to be refreshing, you know? So, well, we, we, because of the blowouts where we ignored the fact that Washington's made it twice, that Cincinnati made it, you know, that, that Notre Dame was in there a few times and that. We, you know, we had some some other teams that were in there. Oklahoma made it several times in there, and Michigan State. Remember, I mean, TCU. Michigan State, Oregon, and Florida State made made college playoffs. TCU. Now, they they laid yeah TCU. Now a lot of them laid eggs in there, and that's you know that's going to happen. I, yes. I will tell you this: I would say the the margin of victory is not going to change. We could do some studies on that, like what the semifinals and finals margin would be. And I think we can take it out to one more round or two more rounds actually now. And I think you'll see the same thing. Like you'll see some blowouts in the future of this thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, at least we're more inclusive and at least we'll, some people get excited. You can print some t-shirts. Hey, here's something interesting about the 12 team. You, you'd love the excitement of hosting a costball playoff game. Yep. At the same time, <laughs> the daunting task of, You've got to win four games, man. I don't, you know. Especially, how about the teams got to go on the road and play no all four games on the road or neutral sites and having to beat four? You know, that's not going to happen. So, I guess in the college, in, in the in the conference championship, <laughs> the one thing you want to, you need to win your conference championship because then you get the buy, and the buy is going to be extremely valuable, in my opinion. I think the twelve team would be awesome if we simply trimmed two games from the. Regular season, yeah, but which is not going to happen. No, no. But that would make so it make more sense to me. 
All right, so pro football, we talked about this too. Pro football has played three preseason games. Not all not all the players play those. 17 regular season games, and you played four playoff games. 24 games. In yeah. college football, you're going to play you play 12 regular season games, a conference championship is 13, and then as many as four. You're talking about 17 games? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's why the players are getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of, all right, bo- last question. I know you got to, you have, your time is valuable. This occurred to me, I was watching the, what was it, the Cheese It Citrus Bowl? Is that what it's called? Tennessee and Iowa? Yes. Yeah, that was Cheese It. Yeah. I'm watching, I wasn't even planning on watching it, but I turn it on and I see Nico, don't know how to pronounce his yeah. last name. I apologize. Mm-hmm. This kid is the truth. I mean, he's, going to be special, I think. Anyway, it dawned on me that you mentioned preseason games. What if we could if we could reprogram our brains to forget uh, the traditional notion of bowl games as a reward for a good season and all that stuff. A lot of that is toast anyway, right? Already. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. it's been now it's been obliterated almost by the opt-outs and all that stuff transfer portal but what if we just reprogrammed our brains to think of bowl games as essentially a preseason game for the next season like a preview of what you're gonna be i mean i kind of think there's some value in that obviously not the value of the 89 gator bowl between clemson and west virginia or whatever of course not We've already seen the top half of the bowls at a lot of these stadiums for the bowl games are empty. So, of course, you're going to take a hit with it, <clears throat> with attendance and all that. But, I mean, isn't Dabo Sweeney among the – isn't he leading the chorus for preseason games at a spring game between Clemson and Tennessee? Do you get my drift there? Like, if we just rethink of what, of what a bowl game should be defined as, especially now moving toward a 12-team playoff – where the bowl games are going to be even further marginalized, isn't there some sort of appeal in saying, "Hey, I want to, I want to get a look at what Clemson looks like is going to look like next year"? Is that sensible? It is, except for a couple of areas. And while I don't totally disagree with you, let me point out a couple. Um, one is, are you going to let your seniors play in it? Sure, if you want to. Okay, so I'm not going to judge a, a team. A 2024 roster. If a guy's not going to be playing there in 2024, I, I, I'm, I'm not. Two, yeah, and I'm not saying it's it's the full definition uh, of a preview. I'm just saying you can get a, a good look at uh, the guys who are going to be in prominent positions the next year. It, unless um, your heavy transfer portal. Yeah. Unless you're going to play a bunch of freshmen, and unless you know, you had opt-outs and injuries and things like that. So, like, I I guarantee this much. Florida State does not want to think that that's the preview of 2024, you know. Uh, so, if you're a Seminole listening right now, go, no, no, no. But a Tennessee well, fan is like, yes, that was yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. If you're a Tennessee fan, you've seen all of Joe Milton you needed to see, and Nico was the story there. Um, so in that case, yes, 
Um, but is it a reward for your team? It still goes on last year's record. Reward for your team, what your, your transfer portal guys look like, your opt-outs look like. I think we have to fix I – mean, the, the single biggest fix in college football would be sit out a year when, when you transfer. Mm-hmm. That would stop so much of the garbage of the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. So just make them sit out a year again. And no waivers, none of that. And you got to fight for court. I don't know how you do it. You got to, they got to sign a non-compete, whatever to do that. Um, but the other thing, we got to fix the calendar somehow, some way. Because opt-outs and transfer portals, you're talking about skeletons of teams. You know, guys are missing on 85 scholarships. You know, some, some teams are missing 20 players and 25 players. You're talking about 30% of your roster. Uh, but it still goes on your record and coaches' record and your rankings and all that stuff. Uh, I'd agree with this. We need to change the way we perceive bowl games. Now, how you do it, what it stands for, I don't know. But wouldn't it be nice if the bowl game actually meant something again? I mean, I'm talking about the stinking yes. Orange Bowl, Larry. Yes. A yes. New Year's Day Six Bowl that really, truly meant nothing. That you had all these players who thought themselves that meant nothing. And and I, I just I don't I get it's about the players now. I get the seasons are long now. But the idea that a player will opt out of a game with your team, I, I have a hard time getting my head around that, that you're going to opt out of the Orange Bowl? Like, wait a minute, that's still your team. And it's still your your coaches and your players and your program. And you did sign an NIL deal to represent these companies to doing this. And your teammates are practicing and going to play in this game, and yet you're saying that you don't like – what's the difference in a meaningless – why would you not opt out of the when, – when Alabama plays Mercer? Right. Well, at what point – how do we – I mean, meaningless is a relative term. Yes. When Auburn loses their fourth game of the year and knows they're not going to go to SEC championship, aren't the rest of the games meaningless? Yeah. Like, why was – was Georgia Tech and Georgia – was that not meaningless? Could Georgia have lost the Georgia Tech game and still made the playoffs, maybe, if they'd have beat Alabama? So is that not a meaningless game? I'm going to opt out of the Georgia Georgia Tech game. I, the idea of opting out to me is is I can't get my head around why a player would do that. I know why, but I, the idea that I'm going to go leave my teammates and go sit out, and then I'm going to be allowed on the sideline, like what? We've got to find a way to fix the perception of bowl games, and I don't know how to do it. It's it's crazy that here we are, like thinking that the solution for everything is for the professionalization to get here as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm a hundred. I, I used to be no way would you, you professionalize or make them employees, but you got to, uh, a one year non compete would help that or else Larry, let's do this. Um, I, why would we even play non playoff bowl games? I mean, it's yeah. crazy to think about because I know the the televisions make money. I mean, the, the ratings for bowl games are really good. Are they and still? Were because, they still this year? Yeah, they were this year. Wow. For, for the most part, I had to look it up, make sure I'm right, but saying that again. But I think they're pretty good. The early ones were pretty good, and the reason is because there's no other games on. Right. And so, uh, and and I think the cities, the cities have to subsidize a lot. But you know, a lot of athletic departments they lose money on these bowl games. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to think that maybe we just don't need to have 41 bowl games in a in a 12 team college football playoff world. Oh, I'm on board with that. But then you wouldn't get your swag, your your um <laughs> you wouldn't go get your uh one more uh book bag, a backpack, you know. <laughs> you could go buy your book bag because you're getting paid now. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey. Uh, but but uh, I think we're in agreement that we gotta change the pers- we yeah. gotta change the way that players perceive the game. 
in my opinion. Agreed. You've yeah. got to hit the road. The the roads are from Easley to Clemson. Or I guess it doesn't look that bad out there right now. So um, hope not. I appreciate your not. time, dude. You're you're extremely nice to to get to uh, to come on on such short notice. But this has been awesome conversation, as is everyone, and really enjoyed the grilling talk. Hey, more grilling talk, less sports talk makes for a better podcast. I'm telling you. <laughs> Happy grilling. Good luck with the pizzas. All right, buddy. Thank you for my friend. I'll let you know how it turns out. Okay, Mickey Plyler. Always fun and can always go in any direction when he and I are talking. And honestly, that was about like eavesdropping on just one of our normal phone conversations, really. Appreciate all of our sponsors for their long-running support. And thanks to every single one of you for hitting that play button. Happy New Year. Really appreciate it. And we'll be back very soon. Cheers. Cheers.